If you'll join me, our scripture reading is from Haggai 1, 1 through 8. In our Pew Bibles, this is page 791. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. What do you say after Christmas and before New Year? Uh, Merry New Year. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> just uh, looking into ending this year, uh, 2019, and then starting brand new year in 2020 and, and thinking through uh, what, what could be shared with our church. Um, Prophet Haggai came to mind uh, because that first chapter in Haggai is quite a rebuke. And yes, uh, welcome to uh, this service here where it's kind of a rebuke. But next week in chapter two, is, it's actually a really great encouragement. So that's kind of how I framed it in my uh, sick head. So um, I apologize ahead for uh, a rebuke this morning. Uh, but next week, you'll be encouraged. <clears throat> when looking at the prophet Haggai, um, he's pointing us to consider the worship of God as our top priority. And, and the place God has in our affection as, uh, as his children. And there's this phrase in chapter 1 that we need to take uh, some time in looking at. And, it, and it's this one. Consider your ways, which is uh, repeated uh, twice by the Lord of hosts. And so in other words, think about where you're going. Re reflect upon that direction, that trajectory that you're, you're moving toward. Ponder what's happening with you and where you're going with that. And so this is the main point of the prophet Haggai. And so one of the things we need to do as we are looking at this book is to put ourselves in Haggai's shoes. For Haggai, the, the, the time he lived in was probably something he, he didn't really want to think about. The year is 520 BC. It's in late August. This was when the people of Judah returned to Judah after the Babylonian captivity. And some of these people had become prosperous, some of them quite successful. But overall, the, the times were really, really difficult. And it simply wasn't a great time for the people of Judah at this time. 
that 16 years had passed since this resettling. And so you can just imagine that people had rebuilt their homes. They, they started to do trade. They started to reestablish community and find out worship communities and, and gathering together. And so they even began rebuilding the temple with that altar of sacrifice there and began sacrificial worship. But they faced this opposition from all directions. And you can go back to our study in Nehemiah to read about all the opposition that they were facing there. And so they faced this intimidation from people within their their city walls, as well as these outside forces, and they, and they face this government opposition from the Persians. And all of these discouraging voices from within their, their community, so, so they decided to wait, because the temple that Solomon had built before, this just didn't seem to be getting off to a great start, so we're just going to wait. Enter the prophet Haggai who began to prophesy to Judah with this very key question. Can God ever be second in your life? Can God ever be second in your life? And this brings us back to this key phrase in Haggai. Consider your ways. Think. Ponder. To open ourselves up to the way God wants us to think so that we open ourselves up to the opportunity for this renewed obedience to God, to, to reflect upon what's happening and ask God whether he is doing something through our circumstances like he was doing in Haggai's time after 16 years of resettling and just coming from the Babylonian captivity. Things are not all that great. So that's kind of the background before we enter into these verses here. Verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel. I've always loved that name. If I have a son, I'll name him Zerubbabel. The son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So you notice here that the word of the Lord, it pursues us. It pursues us. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Now, many Jews did stay in Babylon. Not all of them left after the captivity because what were they going to go back to? Judah was this desolate place. It was destroyed. It was, there was no infrastructure. It wasn't a great place to go. And so this is the dreary setting that the, Lord, the word of the Lord comes through. And it's, it's really encouraging to know that the word of God has the power to show up even though there's this desolate place there, even though that's where you're heading to. Not just something that shows up when times are really, really good, but it shows up all the time. Look at some of these promises of God. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. God who never lies. Look at Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance, and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That the word of God pursues us. God does not lie. He provides us this word of encouragement through the scriptures that it's alive. It's the same today as it was back in the day of Haggai and the Apostle Paul. Verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it? 
a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins. We have a God that practices discipline. There is such a thing as chastening from the Lord. Haggai is telling <clears throat> Judah, he's, t- he's writing to us, to prioritize the Lord. The question from the Lord in verse 4, it, it cuts through any of our excuses. It cuts through our own priorities and values, is, and it exposes everything that we think for what they truly are. It, it, it exposes what we truly value. The, the word of God is telling us to set our hearts on God's priorities. Now, God is not against us building houses. God knows that we need shelter. We just need to prioritize building the house of God. See, their houses, they were done. And so part of the way we know this is it's talking about these paneled houses. You know, it's a finished product. And yet they still didn't go about rebuilding the house of God. And and God didn't even tell them, rebuild my house first before you build your houses. He's like, fine, build your houses. They're all done, right? Now what are you going to do? Now, what does the house of God, what does this temple mean? What does it stand for? Because it's not this physical building, even though it's part of it. The most important part It's the altar of sacrifice where the atonement was made for sins. And it's where people met God in worship. It's where people communed with God. And so, yes, there was this false confidence within the Jewish people in their temple. But it was this place of worship and communion that was never disrespected by the prophets. This this worship was a gift from God to his people. And there is a priority in public worship. Not when it's just convenient. Now our circumstances, they don't dictate our adoration of God, our praise, prayer, worship to God. This is the priority. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So a question for us as we end our year and we enter into a new one. Is there a priority of worship in our lives? Because if it's only when it is convenient, is it really a priority? And I know you're here this morning, so I'm actually preaching to the choir. Because you're here the Sunday after Christmas and the one before New Year. So um, go, go, um, go tell your friends that aren't here. Those, those sinners. But you are the blessed ones. <clears throat> but I hope this is encouraging to you. Because obviously this is a priority to you. What's the primacy of worship in our lives? Not just on a Sunday, but a moment by moment living out our life. Verse 5, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
Consider your ways. So in their circumstances, God was, was getting their attention. God was telling them that, you know, your priorities, that they're not right. Something, something is wrong. You, you need to consider your ways. Think about what you're doing. Now, we, we can't read too much into our circumstances, and we really need to be careful about how we interpret our circumstances. Sometimes, our conclusions about circumstances, they're just simply wrong. Some of us are really hard-hearted, are really hard-headed, and we're so dense to be able to interpret what's really happening with us through our circumstances. Then there's kind of the pendulum swing over on the other side where you're just super sensitive. You're overly sensitive, thinking that every hardship that you're experiencing is God chastising you. And the simple truth is that we all face trials. And not every time is the Lord chastening you. Our circumstances aren't always what God is punishing you for. Sometimes we're just so self-absorbed that we think that everything is, a, is about us. Something's not going well. And you, you automatically think, oh, God must be punishing me for this. But we need to realize the Bible tells us that we're all going to face challenges and, and we can't just jump to conclusions that, okay, God is disciplining me for, for this. Psalm chapter 34, verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Right? The righteous are going to face these things too. We need to be cautious about when it is that the Lord is disciplining us and when it isn't. And what we're hearing from Judah is this. What we're hearing here, the chastisement for Judah. And according to verse 6, it is. And sandwiched between are these phrases, consider your ways, in verses 5 and 7. And, and then in verse 6 is this really, really frustrating set of circumstances. I mean, think about this. You're eating and you're drinking and it just never satisfies you. You, you have clothing, but it, it doesn't keep you warm. And this third one, I think, really, really applies to the Bay Area. You work so much. You work so much. And it's like you didn't earn anything. Big holes in your bag. You just put it in and it's just going away. That's so frustrating. I wonder if this is kind of what hell is like. You know, you, you know that there's this thing, but you can never get it satisfied. You know there's this thing called love. You know there's this thing called joy. You know that there's this thing called peace. But you never get it. Now this is not saying that there's no food. It's not saying that there's no drink. It's just saying that it's not satisfying them. And the prophet isn't saying there's no clothing for you. It's just that this clothing doesn't keep you warm. It's not that you don't have any money. It's just that you can't get ahead because it just disappears. So frustrating. Verse 8, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. So this key phrase, consider your ways in verses 5 and 7, but then verse 8 is actually the core verse of this chapter. Build the house and the Lord will take pleasure. 
So often you look for churches and it's all about us, right? How's the worship there? How's the teaching there? Where's the children's ministry? How's that? How's the youth ministry? What kind of things do they stand for? All this stuff. But we often have this missing element of giving God the pleasure. That it's about giving God the pleasure of worship. And so do we think of worship this way? Or are we thinking, what songs do they sing? Are they hymns? Are they contemporary? Do they have a full band? Is it acoustic? Do they have lights? Do they have a fog machine? Like, what, what? But we're supposed to be giving God the pleasure. It's not about us and like our experience here. It's about God receiving this. And so many of our contemporary worship songs are about us. How I feel. How we feel. What we want. And so we often think of our own pleasure during worship. And we often have this consumer mentality in worship. And so when people shop for churches, they tend to go look at Yelp. For those of you who did that, here's the rebuke, okay? (laughs) Next week, I encourage you. But how often does that happen? Hey, how'd you find us? One of those sites, right? I'm not going to name names. I don't want to pick on you. This is how I found it. Great. I'm glad you found us this way. But... There's that kind of consumer mentality in there. Yeah, where, where, where our needs overshadow this declaration of God's worthiness. And we often come into worship with, with a list of these needs. But, but worship is a worthy declaration of worth-ship. Where, where God is worthy. And our needs are important to God, but it's not the priority of worship. First and foremost, it's about God's pleasure. Our hearts are looking for something to, to, to meet there. But, 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 but even that, that's not the priority. In our worship, have we given God pleasure? Where, where God is adored, where we are declaring the worthiness of God. And the overflow of this worship, we hope ministers to our needs through his grace, but we don't come to worship to get our needs met. It's simply to give God pleasure and, and delight. Verse 9, you looked, you looked for much, and behold, it came to little, and when you brought it home, it, I, I, blew it all, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Now there seems to be some withholding of blessing. And why is that? Because the Lord's house is in ruins. There is no primacy of worship and adoration of God for these people in Judah. And it's so easy to get swept away with our own priorities. Thinking of things like, you know, I have to make a living, which is a big thing here in the Bay Area. I have to make a living. It's so expensive. I need to make ends meet. And it seems to be the priority of the world when it is secondary to our relationship to the Lord. Now the word of God through the prophet Haggai is telling us the priority of our lives is adoring God in personal and public worship. Simply living, making a living is not the priority. And these are most of these people are facing a really hard time. They've reestablished themselves from the Babylonian captivity just a mere 16 years. They're, they're really just trying to reestablish themselves again. And Haggai is writing this message to them, which is probably really hard to hear. He knows his people have suffered. 
but he also realizes we need to get our priorities straight. It's worshiping God. It's hungering and thirsting for God. And when our priorities are right, then everything else takes care of itself as Matthew wrote. Verses 10 and 11. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Now this has happened before. This isn't, isn't the first time that this sort of thing has happened. You look back into Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 28, starting in verse 22. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation and fiery heat and with drought and with blight and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish and the heavens over your head shall be bronze and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder from heaven dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Now skip down to verse 38. Deuteronomy 28, you shall carry much seed into the field and shall gather in little, for the locust shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worm shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. Those were chastisements. Those were judgments from God. Now, not everything is... But there is a chastening of God to his people. Because a faithful father keeps his children faithful. But we can't always jump to that conclusion. Some of us have been awakened by God's chastening. Where the word of God changes us. What is the word of God doing to you? Are you able to hear it? Or is it just being read through? Now the first 11 verses are this rebuke against the public or lack of public worship of God. And then, and then there's this noticeable change here in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. You notice the change? You notice the people change? They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. The word of the Lord was spoken by Haggai, and the people obeyed. And here's a, an encouragement for you, that it is possible for us to obey the word of God. You are not stuck in your disobedience. You are not stuck just sinning the rest of your life. And you notice that last part, and the people feared the Lord. This isn't just reverence. This isn't just respect. This is a realization of who God is. That they know who God is. That yes, God chastens. God disciplines. That what God says, He is going to do. God does not lie. And these aren't just empty words that we're reading from God. That His chastisement, His discipline is real. And He follows through on what He says. And so this defiance that we have, this disobedience, it does have consequences. And it's a proper fear that God is who He says He is. Take a look at Isaiah 66 verse 2. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble 
and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You and I can respond to the word of God. And the word of God does change us. It changes people. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. God's word is at work. God's word changes people. We're really good at looking at our inability and our ineptitude and what we can't do, right? It's one of those things that people often say, and it's a true statement, you know, like they'll, they'll preface things with like, but I'm not perfect, so, or like, you know, we're all sinners, right? Or, you know, they have these phrases out there. And so we're good at pointing out those inabilities, those ineptitudes, but we can't neglect that it is possible for you and I to be obedient to the word of God. That, that, there, there's that part too, that you are able to do that. And the, our default isn't that we can't, it's that we can. We can be obedient. We can follow the word of the Lord. And we're not locked into disobedience. Now sometimes it's, it's a really, really dynamic, dramatic, sudden thing. You know, somebody just gets transformed by the word of the Lord or by, by the Holy Spirit. And, but how many of you experienced your faith that way? That it was just like sudden like that. And then you just never fell back. You're just like, yeah, I'm on this path and I'm, I'm off and I'm gone. I think Billy's one of those guys, actually. <laughs> Billy's one of those, like, it happened and it's like, for real, and it's like, gone. But I think the majority of us, it's, it's steady. Yeah? It's gradual. And you trip up and then you get up again. And you, and you kind of get up and you get going again. That for most of us, it's like that where it's decision upon decision, choice by choice, as to whether we're just going to be obedient. And the word of God is alive, and it's at work in believers. Now notice the inspiration of the scriptures in verse 12 with this phrase. Obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet. Now we might be offended by the word of God because of, of the wrappings. Right, Haggai was that person for Judah. Um, I am that person for this church. Very offensive. And so this is also the offense of Advent, right? We just ended Advent, and, and it's quite offensive. Think about this. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you fast forward to verse 14 in chapter 1 of John. And the Word became flesh... And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus, the Word, became flesh, he dwelt among us. And how did people respond to that rapping? John chapter 6, verse 42. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? You mean your mom, that uh, person we don't really know who your father is? 
you're telling us you're from heaven when you come from that, that you're poor and you got educated in like a really not so reputable part of town, Galilee. Like, who are you? And so the offensiveness of Jesus, the offensiveness of the wrapping of God. And so some of you may find sermons here offensive. Like today, how can you end the year with a rebuke? That's just a lame way to build a church. The way someone looks who's teaching, preaching may be found offensive. I don't know how many times I've been told about what I'm wearing or what I'm not wearing. I used to wear hats when I preached, right? Because I like hats, but I don't because like somebody had a problem with hats, so I don't wear hats anymore. I, I, my favorite shoe is no shoe. Like, I, I don't like wearing shoes. I've preached barefoot before, and someone, oh, that's so irreverent. You shouldn't wear. I changed to flip-flops. Oh, that's the flip-flop. Your toes are showing in Oh, now I wear closed-toed shoes. Are you happy now? Just relax, right? Offending all the time. No, you should be wearing a suit and tie. You know, you, you got to go up there. But then I would think that for most of you, that would be offensive. So, <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Like, we always have these offensive ways that we look, right? Like, do your hair better, like shave or whatever, right? you know? Which I did. I did. But we don't have prophets like Haggai anymore. But we do have the scriptures. We do have these scriptures. And the preacher, the teacher, can be wrong. And it should be checked with the word of God, because the word of God is not. But as the preacher and teacher is consistent with the Bible, then we, Hebrews, take heed what you hear. Now, the messenger can be a hypocrite, is fallible, is sinful. But this packaging does not change the truthfulness of the word of God, regardless of how offended we may be with the messenger. We follow the word of God. We do not follow people. And we're accountable to the scriptures, not these broken vessels of clay that deliver this truth. Verse 13, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Now you notice verse 14, where the Lord stirred up. The Lord stirred up. That we're, we're energized by the Lord. How? Verse 13, Haggai spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. Now this phrase, I am with you, sometimes it just seems so simplistic, doesn't it? I'm with you. What's God going to do with me? He's, he, God's with you. And then you just like, wow, you're just frustrated. What does that even mean? We've got to take it back a few notches, and it makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Think about um, my six-year-old had a nightmare last night. So what does she do? 
she wakes up, opens our door and walks in and then gets in the middle of the bed. Initially, I thought it was my dog because like he's big, but then he, the doorknob was turning and opening. I was like, how did that guy figure that out? Like, but his mouth can like reach the doorknob and so he could like turn it and stuff like that. But, but then it, she walked in, I was like, oh, it's you. And then, and so it's a nightmare. And so she, she lies down in between us. Why does she do that? She didn't come for us to like, it's okay, go back to your room. She came to be with us. That she knows that, okay, my parents are with me. And it's the same time whenever something scary is going on that your kid wants you there. That first day of school, when you're, they're going to the dentist, that they just need their hand held. Oh, she just got her ears pierced too, and what does she want? She wants us with her, right? Like she, she wants us to hold her hand. She's like, oh, I'm trying to brave it, you know? With, with us. God with us. Now, how is the Lord going to be with them? I have no idea. I'd have no idea how the Lord's going to be with you. But what I do know is that it is a covenant promise and that there's no darkness at all that the Lord won't enter in with you. That no matter where it is, he's going with you. So whatever that most fearful place is for you, God will be there with you. Isaiah 43, starting in verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. Do we know this of God? That God is with us. Not just to do things for him. It's not to just build him a temple. But our ongoing life with Christ to know God is with us. Even at the very end of our life in that final darkness. To know that God goes with us into that darkness where no one else can. No one else can enter that with you. And so this is the beauty of something like communion, which we're going to be taking together. This weekly sacrament that we take as a constant reminder, I am with you. I am with you. Now, in this time of communion, I, I want to encourage you to actually read Isaiah 43 and realize those promises of God there the fear not the I am with you and to reflect upon that before you come up and take communion and to let that sink in that God is with you that cracker symbolizing the body of Christ broken pierced for you 
that grape juice symbolizing the blood of Christ spilled for you, that he is with you. And as we are taking these elements, being constantly reminded that God is with us and that this sacrament is to be taken until his return. And so take some time reading through Isaiah 43 before you just kind of come up and take communion. And then as Luke and the, the band lead us into worship, into the praise of God, the worthiness of God, the adoration of God, that it's not for you and me to like feel good about this, that, oh, I know that song and I feel good about it, that this is for God. This is to please God. And so as Luke and the Baden lead us in worship, may we lift up God and we please God and delight God. Lord, you are indeed worthy of our praise. You instruct us not to fear because you are with us. God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving. Lord, may we have that realization, that fear not just of respect and reverence, but through your scriptures to know who you really are. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who does not know of you and your love, your grace, your mercy for them, that they would inquire and that we would have an answer for them as a church body. Lord, receive our worship and praise, our adoration of you this morning. We love you in Jesus' name.